The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. Nice last night chatting with old Eric. Yeah, yeah, he's a, um, well, he's obviously uh, an intelligent guy, but he really examines his path through diving, you know? He, critical thinker kind of thing is in, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can feel the heart and passion for diving when, uh, when you talk with him, you know? So it, it's nice to hear that our last couple of weeks of talking about mastery, you know, resonated with someone <laughs> other than us. That it was actually worthwhile having, having those couple of episodes. Yeah, I, uh, I actually think those are a couple of our best episodes. I've personally received a lot of positive feedback about it in regards to how it hit home, how it, you know, kind of hit the target with where they were with diving and where they want to go and how they want to pursue it and what they want to get out of it. So anyway, I thought I thought it was a, a perfectly on target, great yeah. topic, and uh, two thumbs down to you because you you picked that top. Well, thank you. Two thumbs down to you as well. And for those of you that don't remember, two thumbs down. Those of you who are new listeners that, that just started, two thumbs down is good because we're diving it. We're diving this, going down. Which reminds me, we need we need another gear review. We we got to bring the thumbs down back here one of these days yeah it's usually a christmas thing but i think uh you can probably make it a buy what is it is that a semi-annual or a biannual? what is it twice a year every six months hemi-annual biannual 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 that doesn't mean every two years bicentennial is 200 Hecta- years hecta how about we just say twice a year <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at that uh, Laird Hamilton taking on Tia Hupu. Oh, isn't it a wicked wave? It's a beast. Like 80, it was like an 80 to 100 foot that wave, was wasn't it? 86 feet. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wait, looking at looking at this picture, Laird's about two, six. Isn't he? And so. <laughs> six, two, and, and if I... Uh, if I put him, if I imagine him on top of him, 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 keep going, keep going, him on top. I'm, I'm about. Yeah, that is just wicked, wicked wave. I'm seeing about, I don't know, sixteen layers. So that's that's almost sixteen layers tall. How tall? How tall is that building? 16 lairds. <laughs> 16 lairds. How come the uh, conversation always goes to the ridiculous? All right. How deep do you want to, how deep is this dive? 16 lairds. <laughs> yeah, it's a, there's a, if you got a few minutes to kill, you, know, you can jump on YouTube 
and and watch. It's like a twenty minute. There's a twenty minute video. There's like a there's a shorter one. That's what I'm looking at as is, well. Like a five minute one yeah, of I'm Laird taking on Teahopu. Uh, it's a cool little video. All his buddies talking about him like taking that wave and how it just like popped up and it's a cool little video. But anyways, welcome back to the Great Time Podcast, everybody. You're here with your good pal Jamesy and the late great one and only <laughs> Tia Hopu Brando. Do you think he talks like a surfer? I, I haven't really seen an interview. I think he probably speaks. He kind of he kind of does. <laughs> he does, but he's got uh, he's got that old surf dude in him. You know, he's he's a pretty laid back, chill guy. That's surfing, isn't it? It's in your blood. It is. I, and, and by the way, people, we're talking about, you know, famous big wave surfer Laird Hamilton right now because uh, we we had this little call last night. One of our good uh, friends and listeners and Patreon supporters and Zoom happy hour attendees. I think he's really a Zoom officer. I think he needs uh, officership. Well, we did promote him last night. Yes, we did give him he's a promotion a, in the Zoom in the Zoom happy hour world. He's a Zoom lieutenant. <laughs> old lieutenant, old lieutenant Eric Fine, uh, you know, wanted to chat with us more about this mastery stuff that we were talking about. And it, one of the things that we were talking about led me to remember this book that I have of Laird Hamilton's, uh, "The Force of Nature," and talking about the mind, body, and soul, and of course. Surfing, dude. Dude, it, surfing is the uh, mind, body, and soul together with nature. Yeah, I, I would say like almost the epitome of touching nature at its like strongest force. Scuba, when nature's getting that uh, that intense, you're, you're probably sitting in the hammock on the beach, you know, <laughs> with a with a cocktail with some sort of exotic fruit in it. Yeah, I don't think you want to be out there in equipment, which which does spark a little uh, memory uh, of a recent little video I ran across of uh, uh, scuba. This guy with scuba who's body surfing those kind of waves underwater. I don't know if you ran across that, but he's getting a lot of criticism for it because it really is on scuba. There's a great potential for a lung overexpansion injury among, you know, physical trauma by being slammed into the bottom. But it's probably fun as hell, though. Oh yeah, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so is many it, things that are everything... fun that are not good uh, yeah, no, for no. you. Or yeah. uh, should I recount the last forty six years of my life? <laughs> Jumping off the house with an umbrella is fun until you hit the bottom. Yeah, no kidding. So so I first got turned on to Laird and this book a couple years ago when I was working on a movie in Detroit. You know, we had this uh, really sweet underwater scene, and a buddy of mine who's a stunt coordinator, you know, just was talking about this book that he had just gotten from Laird and uh, talking about like just some of the in-water training that he does of getting people comfortable with breath holding and comfortable underwater and being able to deal with being, you know, like when, when this 80-foot wave, like if that takes him down, you know, 
that's going to be a brutal time underwater. If you make it. If you make if you it. Survive. If it doesn't just like split you in into a mush pile on the top of that reef that that wave's breaking over top of and just tear you from limb to limb. Yeah, just imagine falling at the apex of that wave. Uh, it's a long way down. Or if you fell over the backside of it, you know, say you went up over the edge and jumped with your board. You're like, whoops, I was supposed to, I was supposed to make a cut there. <laughs> and then that wave's going to hold you underwater for a long time. And it's not going to be a, get ready, one, two, three, hold your breath. <laughs> it's going to be a rough one. And he's married to, uh, what's her name? The volleyball player. Yeah, Gabby Reese. That's it, yeah. But uh, in the conversation we were having last night. What do you think? I don't mean to interrupt you, but what do you th- their life is volleyball and surfing. What kind of life do you think that is? How do you think they, they enjoy their like a daily life in the Laird Hamilton, Gabriel Reese household? Like you get up, I'm going for a surf, honey. Okay, I'll meet you on the beach. I'll be playing that volleyball. That essentially is their life. Yeah, with a, with a I'll couple be destroying of- men on the volleyball court. And he's like, I'll be destroying those waves, yo. Well, they've got, you know, life between <laughs> Hawaii and Malibu is... It's tough. Yeah. Somebody's got to do it, though. Yeah, not not bad deal. He struggles. <laughs> My heart goes out to him. So, um, so in our conversation last night, I picked up this book and mentioned to Eric one of the subtitles in here where he's talking about training. And he says, I don't have an on-season or off-season training. Or he says, I don't have an on-season or off-season training. I'm training for life. Does he does he end it with bitch? I think you omitted bitches or something like that. I don't have just to drive the I'd point. Say, home. I don't have on season or off season training, <laughs> Brando. I'm training for life, bitch. Go ahead. Bitches, give it, give it to us. I, I I don't have an on season or off season training. I'm training for life, bitches. There we life. go. I'm training for life, yo. Okay, uh, we, we've got these new Great Dive Podcast t-shirts, everybody. Um, <laughs> get, get, get yours today. Stolen quotes. Made our own. <laughs> this, wait, this is... Training for life, bitches. This is totally different. This is a totally different quote. Stand on the shoulders of giants, I always say. And there's a good one right there. We need to get a hold of some, you know, Socrates and make it our own. I like it. Stoic. He fuck wants. <laughs> Everybody's got their problems. So just remember that. <laughs> that's a that's a, a Socrates quote. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say yes. We we should have a whole line of stoic quotes by Brando. <laughs> <laughs> know thyself, bitches. <laughs> no, no, know your goddamn self. What the fuck? <laughs> I mean, really. There hasn't been any like new revelations in thousands and thousands of years. We're just repeating things. No original thoughts. We just reword them. We add fuckers or bitches on the end. And now it becomes a modern saying. Now it goes on Facebook and it goes viral. A phenom. Oh, they're showing some of his scars. See that? Yeah. He's got a bad one. Well, that's because uh, does does, does that kind of risk make it more valuable? I learned something when I was a kid. 
that I've uh, uh, one of speaking of stoic like, quotes, I, I've learned something as a kid that I've lived my whole life by. Yes, go on. Now you have my attention. Pain is temporary. Bones heal. Chicks dig scars. Scars. Yes, I, I was trying to tell my you know my son uh, a couple months ago got. I mean, just brutally kicked in the face, right under, like right in his mouth. Thankfully, he didn't knock any teeth out. And if he would have had his braces back in the day, not not too long ago, it would have been even uglier. But it split his lip, like from the lip up to like past the nose area, just to the side of the nose, right, and was just split. Oh like, yeah, yeah. His mouth, his mouth was now larger, you know, <laughs> longer. So he uh, he wasn't worried about the scar, which is funny. But my wife was, you know, I wasn't. I forget where I was, but um, my wife took him into the ER, and uh, I always, you know, I worked in the ERs, and I remember back in the day, if you were, if you were a guy and you got hit in the face and you needed stitches, they had any old intern, you know, just sew your face together. <laughs> They didn't care what you look like. Now, if you were a girl, they went and got the plastic surgeons. And you had, you know, in an inch-long scar, you had 150 stitches or more kind of thing. You know, it was it was that way. And I don't take a lot of grief because, yeah, you're a male chauvinist. I'm like, I'm not a male chauvinist pig. This This is how it was. And I was saying to my kid you know like on the phone like hey you know it'd be all right so you have a cool scar you know chicks dig i love i have a lot of scars so i've always had women coming after me out of the blue. oh you, you know? can't like you like james I, e. Brando can I can barely walk to the, <laughs> down the beach so anyway but they they brought in a uh he wasn't a practiced like surgeon but he was really good actually as a woman so there you go. And she came in, and she did a wonderful job on a slip. You can hardly tell. Well, that's probably because he had mentioned he was playing soccer. Those soccer guys got to be pretty. Like if <laughs> yeah, he was, play, they are if pretty he was boys, playing rugby, they? they didn't just let that thing open. They, we would have taped it up on the field. Yeah. We'd have went right Helps back to the, the clubhouse or the pub, had a couple of pints yeah. with him, and he'd have been like the hero, and everybody would have been celebrating that scar. They revel in their gore they and, do. and ugliness, do, yeah. don't they? It's uh, I shouldn't say ugliness, but because it's it's a, a certain brutal look that has, I mean, it has its attractiveness, if you ask me. But yeah, those soccer boys—they're pretty boys, for show. Yeah, uh, Laird Laird in his book—it's pretty funny. He's got like a, a two-page spread, you know, of him surfing. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah. it's a map of all of his injuries he's had over the years. You know, he just like describes them all. That's pretty cool. Now that's a life dedicated to one endeavor. I'm sure he's using that to find meaning. Yeah. Well, cause he says he's, he's talking about injuries are part of life, you know, and if, and if you're, if you let your fear of failure and fear of getting hurt, get in the way, like you're going to have a hard time enjoying your time on the planet, you know? You got to you yeah. got to be positive about it. Understand uh, what you're doing. Not go the other way either. You know, like uh, the guys in Jackass. Right. Yeah. Of just being a jackass, hurting yourself for stupidity and and just Laugh. just to show and just for a gag. Yeah. You know, we we spent you know last week talking about George Leonard's thoughts on the beginner's mind. 
And he's got a section in, in this book talking about the joy of being a beginner, that same kind of thing. Or, as he says, why it's good to be bad. Why it's good to be bad at something. Not bad like Michael Jackson bad. Not, right? not like George <laughs> Thorogood bad to the bone bad. You're not moonwalking bad or you're not having one whiskey, one scotch, one beer kind of thing. <laughs> one bourbon. Bourbon. One I'm scotch. sorry. Whiskey, bourbon. One beer. Whiskey, bourbon. Whatever. I used to like old George. Is he still alive and around? Jesus Christ. I think the guy's still touring, in fact. You got to give it to him, man. Give it to him. But old Laird says, in general, people don't want to try new things if they think they're going to be bad at them. The tendency is to say, I haven't done that. I don't need to do that. I'm not good at that. You guys go on ahead. But the truth is, you have to be willing to subject yourself to failure, to be bad at something, to fall on your butt and do it again and try new stuff you've never done. That's the ideal mindset in sports and in life. You have to be willing to have people laugh at you first. Yeah, let go of the ego. I think we've talked about, I mean, all this goes back to that Buddhism, but Buddhism, I, I'm attracted to the thought process because of its pathway towards an enlightenment or a realization of a purpose in life. We talked about, I mean, does he know George Leonard? Well, I'm sure he does. I mean, I mean, this is, I'm I mean, sure he's, he knows been living, him, yeah. he's been living this lifestyle, you know, since he was a kid. Yeah. Surfing's pretty uh, spiritual endeavor, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think especially, you know, him growing up in California, you know, learning to surf, you know, in California and in Hawaii back in the, what, 70s, 80s, you learned stuff for real back then. You didn't just YouTube, you know, surfboards. And in, and in an afternoon, you, you were doing, you know, the, the superficial surf trick. Like, you became, you learned to become one with the board and, and like, feel the water and breathe with the water. And that's, that's what surfing was. That's what, like, a lot of activities were back then. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's how they taught you how to ski if you were some Swiss kid growing up in the, in the Alps. You did the same thing. Like you learned to be on the mountain, you learned to be on the snow, you learned to breathe the cold air and, and find peace with it. Oh, and then you also turned along the way to, to go around the tree so you didn't hit it. But it wasn't for the flash and the tricks. It was for the chicks. It was for the chicks. It's not for the flash and tricks. It's always for the chicks. Tiffany, get Come that on, on a t shirt. Get that on a t shirt, Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> Quote me on that. It's not for the flash and the tricks. It's always for the chicks. But uh, that's called the school of hard knocks, James. That's that's what that is. Yeah, that's where you learn learn things the hard way sometimes, and it does kind of uh, weed out the the dummies, I guess you'd call it. I, it's it's kind of a Darwin ish, <laughs> right? It's kind of a Darwin ish uh, way of going towards anything or moving towards learning something. Well, yeah, kind of like how Leonard was talking about, you know, the dabbler, the hacker, the obsessive. You know, I, I think that's right along with what what Laird's saying is you've got to be able to, you know, fall on your ass, have people laugh at you and not go, okay, I'm going to go take up something else. All right, I just embarrass myself or I don't want to embarrass myself again or like I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. You know, my image is going to be tarnished. Like you have to be willing to fall down scrape your knees you got to be willing to make some mistakes you got to be willing to to be bad in a class you know for coming back to scuba diving you got to be willing to struggle not be able to complete everything on the very first day 
and know that you got to spend weeks and weeks and weeks afterwards practicing and getting good at that stuff before you really get the recognition and the reward of applying it in the real world. Yeah, and and the biggest thing is you got to get back up, <laughs> you know, get back up again. That's life right there in a nutshell. It's going to knock you down. Yeah, it's like when we had the Parker Turner story and old George was basically done diving, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of those guys never got back in the water again. Like he tells in that story till JJ said, no, man, you got you to gotta get back on. Let's just go do a nice easy cave dive, get back in the groove and get back at it right same kind of we don't quit yeah you don't quit that was one thing you know my old buddy in the service he was my immediate senior nco when i uh flew tactical medevac and he's a former pj which is a pararescue which is the navy seal version of in the air force so they're pretty badass dudes he's been one since vietnam anyway I would talk to Bob about, um, his name was Bob, by the way. I would talk to Bob about, hey, what was it like going through the training? What did it take to become one of these PJ guys? And he said, they go through all the, they go through ranger jump school, they go through uh, Navy diving schools, et cetera, et cetera. But he said, it's not so much the physical aspect of it. They're looking for people who not only won't quit, but can't quit. Yeah, He said, that's it. They're going to knock you down. The people that fail aren't the ones that can't do 100 pull-ups. He said, you'll get to that. They know they can exercise you into shape. It's who's going to quit, who's going to tap out, and those are the ones that get weeded out. Yeah, they, they, it's, it's got nothing to do with am I going to fail or not. You are Because going to everybody's going to fail, right? <laughs> so if you're looking at – and that's the thing is, I mean, that that's what real training is going to be is like – where do you break? Mm-hmm. Like Because everybody's got a breaking point. To, to think that you're going to go into an activity and not be able to be broken is, is, a, is a fool's perspective, right? It is. It's arrogant. What they're looking for is like just not that you won't or can't fail, but that you're not going to give up. You're not going to fail and stop trying. And that's, that's exactly basically what he said in a nutshell. And, and that was a revelation to me. I was young, you know, when I, well, when I say young, I was 28 when I met Bob. And, uh, yeah, that's young. That's fucking young. What am I talking about? <laughs> young. 28. Young. So, <laughs> I, uh, it was a big revelation. As time went by and over the years, it only sank in deeper to me. It's something I, I preach to my children, all of my children, is we don't quit. You know, I don't care how many times you get knocked down, we don't quit. That's why we're annoying to people. That's why the Schwartz name is an annoying name to a lot of people. <laughs> well, this this the the foreword of Laird's book sounds like it, it could have be, been written by you. Now that that hits me right in the feels because that's a huge compliment. I, I really, unless it's really really <laughs> <He's>, ridiculous. <laughs> he starts off. He starts off by saying, "You cocksucker sons of bitches." <laughs> You fucked me. You fucked me. <laughs> no, he says, it's a big world, and we humans, not so big. If you put yourself into a position where you realize that in your solar plexus, one thing I can promise is that you'll never feel more alive. For some of us, it doesn't take leaping off of a cliff. It could be a high porch. It's all relative. Our days are meant to be fun. Once you lose that thread... I think you've lost the essence of the whole deal. If you build up a wealth of experiences, 
letting yourself be amazed by everything and everyone around you, the fun and its close relative, joy, will be the inevitable byproducts. The last thing you want to do is look back at the end and think, coulda, woulda, shoulda. He says the idea is to become an old wizard. An old wizard. I love it. To live a long and fruitful life and have family and be healthy and enjoy the ride. And speaking of the ride, why not let it rip at least a little bit? Everyone I know who's really stoked about getting out of bed in the morning does that to some extent. What you can do, only you can imagine. Albert Einstein, who, as you know, was a pretty smart guy, he says, said, imagination is greater than reality. For each of us, reality is as wide and as open as our imaginations will allow it to be. And on the following pages, I've described some of the ideas and strategies and philosophies that I've worked into my life. Though we're all different, and ultimately we need to write our own playbooks, I hope there's something in my journey that might inspire you and yours. Life is for living. Bitches. I knew you'd like that old wizard comment. The picture he's painting and the... um the wisdom coming through is, I mean, it's basically straight out of uh, our playbook or, you know, actually out of a Buddhist playbook. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I know I keep bringing up the Buddhist thing. I know it scares some people off. I just something I've, I've read a lot about. I mean, I'm not by any means, I wouldn't insult the Buddhist people and say I'm Buddhist because I am not, I don't have that, um, a life where I have that, that ability. And I have weaknesses like, Zoom meetings. No Buddhist would attend a Zoom meeting. <laughs> no, no. If they did, they would. They would say, yeah. "I used to be a Buddhist. <laughs> I was a Buddhist until I, I my I, discipline I, failed me, and I succumbed to my fucking temptations." Yeah. Although there is the drunk Buddha. I don't know oh, if you're yeah, aware yeah. of that. It's one of the Buddhas, the drunk Buddha. See, there, there, there is hope for us. Eh, we could become an enlightened being. Through booze. <laughs> you can quote me on that one. There's a t-shirt, too. <laughs> so in, uh, in the book here, he's got you know a, a great section on just the mind. And then he goes in talking about the body, you know, looks at you know, training and, and exercises and workouts and yoga and nutrition and hydration and all kinds of good stuff. And then he, you know, jumps into talking about the soul and, and you know kind of what his his look at a spiritual life kind of is you know uh love and life and family and stuff and and then a, a big section at the end kind of going a, you know through surfing and how he got to all of this stuff you know through surfing was his vessel like diving kind of is has been mm-hmm. our vessel agreed it can be anything it can be freaking playing cards poker uh it can be riding your bike it can be drinking beer I've known some people, although that's an easy one to get way off track with. Right, right. He says we're all human, which means we all have the same opportunities and the same struggles. It's all about that voice inside our head that we call our mind. What it leads us to believe determines how we act and how our lives unfold, which is why when I catch myself thinking bleak thoughts, I'll go out and do something physically strenuous like clear brush or move rocks or paddle down the coast. Same thing I do. See, I told you, you, you could have, uh, th- this could have been <laughs> written by you just this morning. The fucking moving rocks thing. So we've had these rocks that I've moved, to th- and I'm not exaggerating, a hundred times at my house, you know, at, at my old house. 
Oh, right. There are a couple hundred rocks, probably a thousand rocks. And they're, they vary from mostly about you know, five six million rocks. In rocks. <laughs> but I, I keep moving them. I moved them, and they were a border around the you know shrubs at the edge of the property line. And then I moved them, and they were over the ditch, way out in front by the street, you know, surrounding the culvert. And then I moved them by the deck. I built a new deck in the back and I moved them around the edging of the deck. And when we moved to this house, I moved some over here and I moved them around a couple times over here. And my my kids just keep looking at me like he just keeps moving these goddamn <laughs> rocks. And if you ever bring up the moving of the rocks, James, bring it up. The, oh, the whole oh. family thinks I'm oh, oh, the next time I'm over, I'm going to be like, we should move yeah. these rocks. Move some- <laughs> <laughs> you will get all of them will just stop and look at you like it's is it an old guy thing? <laughs> what, what's the deal with this moving of the rocks between that and um, I have a back mounted uh, leaf blower, which I love. Oh, yeah. I blow the driveway and the s- sidewalk around the house like in the fall. It's every couple hours. Um, and, it's down to like once a and day. Now your now. your family thinks it's because you're a, a crazy old man, but really, but what you're doing is you're you're just clearing your mind. <laughs> Nailed it, James. That's my whole. That's what I'm getting at. You need to clear your mind a lot in my house <laughs> as a father. Well, Laird says I believe that our thoughts have real powerful effects on us. For instance, let's say you wake up one morning with a rotten mood. You don't know why, but you're just looking for a fight. Well, in my experience, the moment you walk out your front door, you're going to find someone who wants to fight you back. I I don't have to go out my front door. I can turn in bed. (laughs) There they are, ready to roll. Let's rumble. Uh, Yeah. He says, on the other hand, if you're just thinking about enjoying yourself, you're probably not running into a lot of complications. Everything comes down to attitude. You determine what yours is, and the external world will reflect it back. Whether that's good news or bad news depends on you, on your outlook. If you think you're not able to do something, guess what? You're right. What if you believe that everything's for the best and see the beauty all around you, and you have faith that things will be good? You're right, too. If you cultivate something in your mind, you give it a life. It's really that simple, he says. You create reality. I mean, it is. And it, it can be taken to the nth degree. And people are like, oh, I woke up and said, I want an apple pie. And I didn't get it. So you're fucked. You don't know what you're talking about. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's a long-term, you know, your thoughts create what's around you. They attract things and they repel things. Yes. It's just like when you, th- when you are talking about, like, my wife and I, I was just saying, man, I haven't seen a lot of pregnant women lately. And she said, that's because you... You've been locked you in your house have for a, a year and a half. You're not allowed to go. You're not allowed to leave. Just just wait till another eight months from now. You're going to see them everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> she, she said, you know, when, when she was pregnant, I seen pregnant women everywhere. Because that was in my mind. And, and your mind catches those things, yeah, right? Yeah, you yeah. see what's in your brain i hope that that kind of makes some kind of sense to people i use that analogy because she brings that up all the time is you know if you're thinking of a a red car you'll see red cars all over the place well is this not like when we look at diving in like a class like the essentials from last weekend right as soon as these guys start struggling and it gets in their head of 
you know, I'm struggling with, you know, clipping and unclipping this bottle. And then they start getting mad at themselves and you can physically, you know, see them like break down. And when that happens, like all the bad stuff comes, right? We just spent like a whole day before talking about staying in trim, controlling your breathing to control your buoyancy, having your head up so you can be all seeing and looking around. You don't drop your knees, you know, keep your form, be aware. And then as soon as you start struggling with the clip, boom, the head drops, the breathing changes, the buoyancy changes, the knees drop, the fins fall, they start kicking up the bottom, right? It's, you are attracting all of that with that negative mindset. Don't you think to a certain degree? Oh yeah, for sure. It's a subconscious thing. And that's where most of your decision-making is made subconsciously through unconscious and subconscious influences. You know, I love reading about that stuff, how basically all of your senses take in everything. You only consciously remember small, dinky portions. Your unconscious has the entire uh, sensory input in its recording. Yeah, yeah. And that's what influences your decision-making process. If you surround yourself with bad divers, that's what you're going to be in the sense of, when I say bad, unskilled, unthoughtful, unaware divers, that's what you're going to be. Subconsciously, you've programmed yourself for that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if... If everybody is, you know, kneeling on the bottom to to take a picture of the unique site that you're diving, that that just subconsciously becomes a normal thing. And and here we are, you know, decades into scuba education, and we, we saw what just became so natural. And then at the same time, we're going, hey, protect the coral, be ocean friendly, don't don't kick up the the reef, don't kick up the bottom. But that's all the input people are subconsciously getting all along. So you can say it one way, but what everybody sees and what everybody's out there doing is inputting subconsciously something completely different. In Laird's book, he's got a section called On Excellence, where he goes through a couple of points of being the best. And I think after our recent look at mastery, this is a nice lead-in, especially after our conversation that we were having last night with Zoom Lieutenant Eric. <laughs> first Lieutenant. He's First Lieutenant now. He says, I've been fortunate to have spent time with great athletes from many sports, to have trained with them and traded ideas with them. People ask, what is it about the best athletes that make them seem invincible? Is it physical, psychological, genetic? And my answer to that is yes to all of the above. Wait, let me, let me, I, I, I messed that last sentence up actually. Let me, let me fix it. Yes. He said, you. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. See, he, he, you complete me. That's uh... <laughs> the first one he says is you've got certain basic strengths. Some things have to be there from the start. They can't be learned. They can't be trained. I'm sorry to say it, but you can't make an eagle out of a chicken. True. He talks about his wife, Gabby, her her old volleyball coach once said, you can't train height, and it goes beyond the physical. You can't train courage either, he says. You might be able to enhance the courage you already have, but if you have a fearful mind that's always going to work against you, self-doubt is as good as kryptonite. Agreed. Where does that come from? 
is my bigger question. Is that genetic or is that something instilled in you in uh, your upbringing? Yeah. Is it an un- yeah. I fully believe it's upgrading, and he he starts talking about that too. Is how like he believes you know it's it's a matter of like how you were how you were raised, what you did growing up. He says I have a theory that this is established when you're young. What you did during your growth stages determines your work capacity, and then genetics and psychology and probably a couple other things play into that. But by the time you're a young adult. I believe your work capacity is pretty set. If you sat around eating cereal and watching TV and playing video games from 6 to 16, you're probably shot. Exactly. And and my wife and I talk about this a lot, raising the children. You know you have a very small window where your influence is really useful to them in the sense of you are going to make the solid base of this child's life. By the time they're 13 or 14, they are who they are right there. You have that base. That doesn't mean it can't change. It's very difficult, though. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You hear stories all the time of, you know, the, the person, they're 35 years old, you know, way overweight, depressed, and, and then something just clicks and snaps in them. And, and, you know, by the time they're 40, they're ultra healthy, ultra fit, have completely changed their lives. Right, that's the rarity. Like what he's saying here is, he says your body has developed its whole working system. Now, if since you were a little kid and you ran around all day long doing all a bunch of cardio activity, you're going to have a bigger tank. If you're highly active as you're growing, your body's going to grow differently than if you sat around not doing anything, right? Just the, the, the base... The base core muscles that you have, uh, the the strength of that second set of muscles, that that connective tissue from the big muscle to the bone, like that's all grown and developed differently from those two different kids that he just describes. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. This is the kind of stuff that has been in my mind raising the kids. Is you got to get that base layer in there as best you can as a parent. Do it right to develop character, to develop a physical being, to develop discipline. All that stuff is the foundation is set at the young ages. Yeah. So I mean, walking into a scuba class, you know, like especially a higher level scuba class, specifically like like the essentials, fundamentals, something where you're you're going to go and get pushed beyond. Just a, a basic C card, you know. There is a certain basic strength that is going to separate the students, and that's that that give up that we were talking about earlier. Of is it in your nature of how you've been raised to put in the extra work, like dig dig deeper, or is it you know uh, hit pause and and hit start over on the on the game that you're playing on the video game, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can have a little of both, I think. I mean, you you got to come to a point where you're like, okay, we got to go back to the beginning and do this again. You know? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think, I think that one, maybe there's some semantics in the way you and I are thinking differently between it. But in that one, I think that's, that's the right thing yeah. to do. That's where that is the digging deep, right? To to look yourself in the mirror and go, we're going back to the beginning and we're going to start all over. Like, um, I realize I have a bunch of superficial trophies and badges, uh, but but I can see in myself what I'm missing. And to have that, I mean, that's a that's a deep strength when you have that humbleness to go all the way back to the beginning 
and rebuild yourself from the ground up, which is generally what it's like what we were doing all weekend this past weekend in that essentials class. Yeah, basically take them down and break, you know, break them down and build them up. He says, but you got to be willing to be broken down. Yeah. yeah, very good. He says distractions don't phase you. Sticks and stones, whatever. If you want to be the best, you can't be distracted. Or, to put it another way, if there are distractions, and there always will be, they don't matter. He says, when I'm surfing, people drop in on me, they'll trash talk, they'll do stupid things that endanger themselves and those around them. But when you're really in the moment, those unexpected pressures, clashes with others, or adverse situations, they don't phase you. You might even figure out a way to use them to your benefit. If there's a lot of chaos going on, it forces you to focus on exactly what you're doing, and therefore, you're less likely to overthink things. Anything that impedes your full concentration will have to wait for later. It is a level of maturity where you can disregard, you know, anyone else says, what's going on around you when you've got a mission. That's, that's one of the secrets, I guess, if it's a secret at all. I mean, Laird knows it. A lot of other greats know it. A lot of people that have achieved greatness and in, in something they've done. I'd bet money that they would all say the same thing like this. Yeah, right. And for diving, making something like in that class, doing the ascent drill that we do, right, where at first it's just make the ascent super meticulous, super exact, you know, uh, perfect. And then when things start to get added to the ascent, little problem with the mask, little problem with a, a, a leak, a little problem with, you know, getting tangled, a little problem with an air share, right? It's easy to get wrapped up like those external forces. I mean, that's, you know, that's the, the world trash talking you. That's the world kind of poking a finger, right? Either that can get in your head and throw it completely off. Or you can learn to ignore those outside forces, stay focused on all those basics of buoyancy, balance, trim, kick, awareness, head up, and deal with the problems just as they come. That's what you're trying to get to in that level of training. The, the focus in the perceived chaos. It's always yes. perceived. Right, right. You know? Well, I mean, there is nothing that triggers and, and stimulates the feeling of chaos to a diver making an ascent like bubbles all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) It's loud. Yeah. It's distracting. It's a little scary. It can be a little scary anyway. And uh, yeah, for sure. That'll, it'll rock your boat a little bit. Great training. It's real life. You know, you're tough. He says, I know pretty tough. I've I've taken a beating or two. (laughs) He says, mental and physical toughness are both important. You may have more than one than the other, but the bottom line is you don't cave in. There are people whose bodies aren't superior genetically, but their minds allow them to deal with extreme amounts of pain. So many of us are capable of so much more than we think. The toughest athletes push that threshold so far out that they redefine what's humanly possible. He says, look at my friend Chris Chelios, the Detroit Red Wings defenseman. He just won another Stanley Cup at 46. 
And when you watch him train for six hours a day, you understand why he's still a champion long after other guys would have retired. I've said this before, but here it is again. I don't care what kind of natural talents you have. You still have to do the work. Absolutely. When you just read, I've said this before, but here it is again. I thought he was going to say, I don't care what those Canadians say. Detroit is hockey town. <laughs> hockey town. Bitches. Right. <laughs> this is the real reason why I started this with this chapter, because he, he, he gives a shout out to Detroit. Go Wings. Do you remember when everybody kind of hated Chelios when he wasn't, wasn't on Detroit? Oh, yeah. Uh, when he was over in Chicago. Uh, it was oh, hated. We, we hated Chicago, hated period. Him. But Chelios was like, he received a lot of that angst, man, that anger. Uh, but when he came here, he was a gem. And 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 by awesome. the way, he is an ambassador for the city of Detroit, and he loves you know the organization over here, and he loves this town. Well, Detroit is a town all about character. Yeah. If there's ever a town that symbolizes getting knocked down and getting back up and never quitting, that's fucking Detroit. Yeah. Um. This next one I like, he says, you're sensitive to everything around you. My wife says I'm oversensitive. Does your wife say that about you? You're a Pisces. They say cancer is the most like yeah. emotional fucking messed up zodiac sign there is. Oh, it is. I would agree. I would agree. I'm yanked around by my fucking leash all day. By Do they not like, what did I do? What did I do to piss them off? <laughs> <laughs> Kidding, but... But, yes. but this is a different type of a sensitive. This is, you know, what we call in our training a situational sensitivity. Awareness. Right? That's an awareness. Yeah. yeah, being ultra sensitive underwater to what's going on with your body, what's going on with your equipment, what's going on with your team and, and the environment as well. I mean, that that right there will give you an edge, having that ultra sensitivity to, to those aspects of diving. Yeah, so... You had shot some video of me working with those students a couple of weeks ago. Right. And we had the conversation of while they're while they were off the platform working on their skills, right? Trying to trying to maintain buoyancy, maintain trim and body mechanics and awareness, and I'm there in front of them making sure they're okay. There was a there was a point where my body lowered just touched that platform right and my reaction was to change my breathing come back up maintain control of them as a student right versus when they kind of went off a little bit it was this big dramatic push off and bump and re change their whole entire attitude and positioning in the water Whereas having the sensitivity to a change, you can just alter your breathing a little bit versus completely destroying the whole entire place. But you need to be in control and aware to even be able to notice that that's happening, right? And like last weekend, right, I had students coming down, they're trying to put on uh, deco bottles and they get so wrapped up in clipping the bottle on that their feet are into the mud kicking up the silt of the bottom uh they've destroyed all the visibility around them and they're so wrapped up in clipping that bottle that they're not sensitive to their environment they've lost that 
that's a laser beam, you know, task focus thing that really you're trying to train out of them. I mean, that's one that's of the one of the core things, things you're trying things. to change. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He, yeah, trying to to have an awareness and still accomplish the task. And I look at you like teaching, and you did talk about this to them. Like I'm filming, I'm videoing off to the side and behind you a little bit, so I'm not I'm not in the way of the teaching. But you know I'm there. There are a number of ways you know I'm there. A we we dive together, but. You know, you can look at the reflection in their masks and see me. So you know I, I might have my light out there in front of you, that passive communication. All that is is awareness of the entire environment, your team, and your equipment, and yourself, you know. All of that stuff we're talking about, you have that going on simultaneously. And because you've got your skills to a level where they just happen, you don't have to take energy to focus on all the other shit to manage a team underwater. Yeah, Laird says, we've all seen clueless people out of touch with their surroundings, oblivious to what's at stake or what's really going on. Ignorance can definitely be bliss, but it doesn't ever add up to greatness. When you're sensitive, it means you're aware of everything that's happening around you. Little details that others would miss. You're awake. That alone makes you more intelligent at what you're doing. And under... Yeah, and underwater, you have to be awake and aware of everything that's going on. And you have to also understand that there's somebody else in the water with you that you have to be supportive of their awareness, right? Like you got, you can't, like if you're focusing on your camera and I need to move from one side of you to the other, right? I can easily come up, touch you on your left knee, get around on you, touch you on your right knee. And while you're working on the camera, you know that I've just changed positions and you're going to catch me out of your right peripheral now where I was over on your left, right? Without having to ma- turn it into a huge, big ordeal. Right. I mean, or, or I'm like, oh my God, a shark. And I just freak out. Uh, <laughs> kidding of course i thought you said you never wanted to talk about that again <laughs> the incident yes uh, but yeah absolutely that realizing that when somebody has a job like camera work i mean we talk about this a lot taking photos underwater it's like a whole nother subject as far as awareness goes because you have to adjust your camera when you're using a professional type camera right or an slr shooting in manual you have to make adjustments so you have to focus on that so you have to have a team that understands that yes and makes it easy that you can still maintain an awareness of them and they of you while you're doing that very attention absorbing task yeah there are things underwater that will steal your awareness you have to be aware of that and you that's what you're trying to do with a good team is you're you're building a team that if the general go-to is to understand the awareness is the big thing, you can let little things steal it from time to time because you know you're coming right back out of it. And when I know that you're going to have something that's going to steal your awareness, I pick up my game for that, for that brief moment to make it easier on you, to let you do a couple of those little things that you need to do. And then we go right back into the flow. Right. And that's, that's what you're looking for out of the students, not... But you don't give them a camera to do that. All you have to do is give them something very small, like clip a pressure gauge. Snapping, yeah, clip a clip pressure a, gauge. Yeah. It's all it takes. Exactly. If you can't stare at your partner and clip your your pressure gauge off, you might need a, a you know an essentials class. <laughs> yeah. If you if you need a retractor doodle, 
on your on your pressure gauge in order to read it, you you might need some real training. You sweat the details. I think this is a corollary of being sensitive. He says, if you care about what you're doing and you're aware of every part of it, then you're not satisfied with subpar execution of anything. You're going to make a point of being technically immaculate. Your equipment will be maintained to perfection. You'll practice your weakness until you don't have any. You're going to be out there on the worst, coldest, ugliest days doing whatever needs to be done. Half-assed is not part of your mindset. The more that's at stake, the more prepared you'll be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, Yeah, I love that one. Like, half-assed isn't in your mindset. Fucking half-assed. Yeah, ask ask my kids about what I think about (laughs) half-assed. I remember, you know, raising kids, I was trying to, uh, there's no manual. You're just trying to do it right. And uh, the whole cussing thing. So... (laughs) I never wanted them to be so sheltered, like they were never yelled at, they were never cussed at. I don't hit my kids. To, I don't don't feel there's a need for it. But I can remember consciously thinking when I said half ass. That was like the first swear word maybe I said to them. Like, why are you doing this half ass? Hit me like, oh, I was, I'm kind of cussing to them. And, right, then, and then and then you were like, I need to go move some rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Half-assed, yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, as as time went on, the, the word asked kind of lost its effect, so well, I had to move up to, you know. Cocksuckers. No. <laughs> I didn't ju- you don't jump immediately there. You have no passing gear later then, you know. You have nothing left. That's at the highest peak, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. It's good, up good, there. Okay, good point. It's one of the worst. Brando's, yeah, Brando's school of fa- fatherly <laughs> profanity. <laughs> It's the academy of fatherly it's profanity. The, it's the evolution of profanity in front of your children. Exactly. It's a it's a five part online uh, webinar mm-hmm. you can take for ninety nine ninety nine. <laughs> you know what? I think if I had my kids here on an interview, like for this particular half assed subject, okay, this half assed thing, it's so important in the way you know I approach something important to me like raising kids and scuba diving and but when i would ask them hey i want you to load the dishwasher for example and they do it half-assed you know they just kind of chuck everything whoa you just earned yourself an hour lecture here bitches (laughs) lecture i found is way worse than ever beating them in my life you know as a kid i would have had you know some kind of physical harm done to me for doing what they've done to the dishwasher. They get an hour lecture, oh, which, yeah, when you see yeah, their faces, yeah. I'm going to send you a picture, James, of these kids when they got a lecture about going to grandma and grandpa's for Easter. And I had them, you, you know, it's kind of a formal, they're, they're older, Easter was a big deal. So they, we had to dress them up and they're all little, like, you know, seven, five, you know, that kind of, oh my God, you see this picture. You think I was just... Go to take and torture them. Like, oh, we got to be tortured. Right, it's awesome. Right. But they get a lecture. Which about... is worse than than physical exactly. pain. Exactly. Anyway, the half-ass lecture is a good one, and it, it hasn't gone out of style. It, I still have to bring it out occasionally. And, and you're right. Don't do things half-assed. His next one, he says, you don't indulge 
the voice of doubt. Fuck that voice of doubt. That would be my interpretation. <laughs> he says, we all hear that negative voice inside our heads, but that doesn't mean we have to indulge it. Just because it's there, it doesn't have to have an effect. Once again, you decide what you want to believe. Is the cup half full or half empty? Do you believe you're going to stick the mountain bike downhill or fall on your head? Success or failure, determination or uncertainty, these aren't externally determined things. They're personal choices. Right? Well, I mean, once you get your head that you're going to blow the ascent, see at the surface, dude, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's where you're going. You're creating your reality there, brother. What, that's, what, that's once exactly you're worried, once you get worried that you're going to kick up the bottom, I, I don't want to be behind that guy, you know, because uh, that's what you're going to do. You're going to kick up and destroy that bottom. You got to have a way to shut down that negativity. And I, and I tell my students, you know, when we're running through these ascent, descent drills, it's okay, that sucked, but you got to flip the switch because we're going back, we're going to do it again. And if you're dwelling on what we just did, this next one's going to just going to be worse. Yeah, you, your mind can't, how can I put this? I think the best way to put it, and, and I, I use it a lot, is be present. Be present. You're not thinking where, you know, you're not thinking you're at your goal right there. You have to be present in what you're doing. And wait, 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 what, 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 what were you saying that? something? What, what was Yeah, exactly. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Let me go oh, back. Let me go. Can you repeat that? Can you repeat that? Hold on. There's something floating in my coffee right here. That's, um, <laughs> what were you saying? What were you saying? You can operate hurt. He says, who can forget watching Michael Jordan hit a playoff winning three pointer at the buzzer? while sweating out a 103-degree fever. He was so sick, his skin looked purple. Ironically, some great performances can happen when you're hurt, sick, or injured. Why? Because you don't have any energy to waste. You have to perform more efficiently and more precisely. I know that personally, he says. I've done some of my best surfing while injured. I can remember surfing pipeline with a cast on my ankle. Every nerve ending was firing. I was so aware of the pain. I didn't really want to fall, so every move I made was precise. Sometimes when you're hurt, you have to stay home. But sometimes you can transcend it. When the subconscious part of your brain kicks in, the part that's operating out of necessity rather than desire you're in a more efficient and more powerful frame of mind. You know, what comes to my mind when you, when you talk about that, about operating hurt, is, uh, is there was a poem in a movie, and I can't remember, uh, G.I. Jane. Did you ever see that with Demi Moore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going yep, to Navy yep. SEAL school. Yeah. So that poem is called Self-Pity. It's from D.H. Lawrence, and it's uh, featured in a little scene, and the the instructor the lead instructor there is extremely tough on her i mean extremely tough like tougher than he is on the guys right and she's she's bitching about it she's like why are you tougher than me and i mean basically because he knows you're gonna have more thrown at you than any of these guys are ever gonna have thrown at them they are gonna get by basically 
they look like badasses. They walk like badasses. They were badasses all their life. You know, these are, these are guys who are accustomed to being taken seriously as badasses. Your girl, in the world of men, you know, take it for what it is. I don't mean to offend anybody if they take this, if they're offended. But in the world of men, you're smaller. You have less muscle. This job is muscle. This job is life-threatening. We don't have time for self-pity kind of thing. So you are going to be under more scrutiny than any of these guys. So he wants to train out of her the self-pity. So one of the inspirations he uses, one of the things he says to her is this poem by D.H. Lawrence called Self-Pity. And it's just a, it's just a few-line poem, but it's, it says, I never saw a wild thing sorry for itself. A small bird will drop frozen dead from a bough without ever having felt sorry for itself. So it will sit there and freeze. It won't quit. It'll just drop dead. And it won't ever have felt sorry for itself. Its own ego will not have entered the equation. It just would do its job of being a bird. Yeah. I know some people are going to be like, so are you saying I should die frozen? (laughs) Well, basically, if that's what you got out of that, well, do us a favor, please. No, I what I get <laughs> what I get out of it is you know when you're on the shipwreck and there is the failure that we're training for, right? There's a a post goes, uh, the team gets separated, we get blown off the wreck in the current. We got to blow a, a a marker bag because we're not coming up with the 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 boat's expecting us to be. Things are happening in the water. It, my mask starts flooding, you know, like all this stuff. When it rains, it pours, you know, and and the moment you go, uh, I don't want to play anymore. Exactly. <laughs> mommy. Right. <laughs> I want my mommy. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't ever right. do it. Not, not until you're back on the boat. You can say that sucked all you want, but... In the moment, there's there's no place for it. You're exactly right, and <laughs> the only th- thing you really have a place for is triage, right there. And all your training needs to kick in, right? Unconsciously, right? That, and that's why we make such a big deal about those laws of learning, right? That's why they're the cornerstone of our educational model. Like that's why the law of primacy is so important long-term in your diving. That's why that that law of recency and, and exercise is so important that you're engaging in that because when you need it to come out of you because you're operating hurt, things are not ideal. You know, the the your dry suit's torn mid-dive. You're getting cold. You got to figure things out. Whatever Whatever's being thrown at you, that's where all that stuff just needs to flow out and not take up any brain activity to do because you've got other things that you have to do. You're a master craftsman with tools. You're going to produce master crafts regardless of the weather or the bad things going on. That's what needs to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, a master craftsman, if their favorite hammer breaks, they still build whatever it is mm-hmm. that they were building. They figure out a way to get it done, right? Right. Well, they also realize the tools are not are not it. They're just that. They're <laughs> tools. Yeah. The, the The art comes from that craftsman himself. The last one, 
is you're solid. In the biggest sense, it's about you. The whole person, he says. There's a depth of character that underlies all great performances. And it all comes down to this question. Who are you? Are you someone who cares about others? Who will notice someone struggling and stop what you're doing to go over and help? Are you a person of principle or a creature of opportunity? Are you honest or will you do anything to win? If you cut corners in your integrity, it doesn't matter how many trophies you've got stuffed into your case. Yeah, well, this goes back to freaking ancient Greece and, and even before that. And it, it translates you know, into the Far East wisdom, which is know thyself. Know thyself, man. It was written over the. That was uh, uh, that was Delphi. That was Oracle Socrates. Of Delphi's. It was Socrates, Socrates I believe, but it was he got it from the Oracle of Delphi, if I'm not mistaken. I thought anyway, I thought he the, got it. It's old. I thought he got it from the the bathroom stall. It was a carved <laughs> carved into the side. <laughs> that too. It said, "Know thyself, bitches." It was Brand Brando wrote it. <laughs> Self, you bitches. But yeah, the I mean, that's in Lao Tzu's uh, the Tao Te Ching. It's just know thyself. If you can, two words that can give you a path in life that you can spend your whole life trying to figure it out. Know thyself. But this is what scuba is for. It teaches you yourself. It teaches who you are. Yeah. If if you if you look at scuba diving in the master's journey, absolutely, it's going to teach you a lot about yourself. Well, hey, everybody, that is our little talk on excellence, on excellence, en excellence. You had to throw some French in there. Oui. What about your Japanese on excellence? Oh, excellence. (laughs) That's a great way to end. I mean, again, that little tidbit of wisdom is huge. It it doesn't seem like it. And I say this, it's another one I say to my kids all the time is, you're here to learn who you are. That that is what you're on this damn planet for. And everything you do is going to teach you about yourself. So start paying attention, bitches. Faux show. Um, so I know last couple of weeks we've been getting pretty deep, deep uh, you know, transcendental, meditative, spiritual tapping into your zen. <laughs> I don't know what what we've been going on, but at James, the end, do do I need all this stuff to clear a snorkel? Do I need to know all this? <laughs> no, you don't. You can just the the other choice for everybody out there is yeah, just throw on your split fins and and not give a damn about it and go look at some fish. But I know and you know because we've been getting the feedback from the people that there's a lot of people that this is really hitting home for and I I hope more people take it to heart and they put it into their diving and they become much better divers and much better people for it. Well said. It's not for everybody. I know you and I talk about this too quite a bit because yeah, we take our diving kind of seriously as as many endeavors in life. But there are people that just want to go, hey, listen, I'm, I want to dive once or twice. I want to go on a honeymoon. I want to go on a cruise or whatever. I'm not going to dedicate my life to blowing bubbles underwater or for the breather divers, not blowing bubbles underwater, but just breathing. Long story short is we understand that everybody's into diving like this, but 
I guess my counter to that is you don't have to be to get something out of approaching it in this manner. Yeah. You don't have to be that. Yeah. Those people I don't think are listening to our show anyway. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're not like they they don't, they don't give a damn about any of this. Yeah. I think Confucius said it best. Fuck them. Right. Like, like they can't even, they can't even make it past our intro. No, they, right, they, they, no, no! Didn't we have a few? Yes. <laughs> right on. Yeah, that uh, one and a half minute long intro or two minute intro. All right, everybody. Uh, hey, Brando, real quick, we should be signing logbooks, though. Okay. Yeah, here, here's mine. Sign away. Okay, Jamesy, know thyself, bitch. <laughs> and dive safe, Brando. It's <laughs> not for the flash and tricks. <laughs> It's for the chicks. There you go, Jamesy. The thing that that hook of the rhyme is what gets me (laughs) right there. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Safe diving, folks.